Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. We've been dropping in on this conference that Warren Litzman held in South Africa years ago. Thankfully, we have the uh, audio tape to bring it to you. It's really fantastic. I actually listened to some of them myself again this week, and what a blessing this is to hear these wonderful conferences of Warren Litzman regarding the In Christ message. We're going to go now to another excerpt from one of these conferences. Warren is about to get into Philippians chapter 3. You're going to love it. Here's Warren. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. It is important when we talk about the commitment that a human being makes to God that we take into the facts that words one day may not be the same words to be lived another day, for humans are frail. But we're all in a process of growth. And failure is a major step in growth, especially if you are hearing the true gospel. I have never felt like anyone could fail the Lord if they followed Paul. Before this conference is over, we'll see the essence of following Paul in the Scriptures, for the Scriptures are clear about it. There's nobody that made a greater commitment to God in the Bible than did the Apostle Paul. Under the law, men made a commitment to what they had to do. There is a difference. When you make a commitment to something you feel led to do or even something God may have told you to do, that's different than making a commitment to the Lord over who He is and who you are in Him. The commitments must not be confused. If you make a commitment to things, what you commit to controls you. What you take hold of takes hold of you. But if you make a commitment to the Christ that is in you, that too will take hold of you. You must remember that your commitment is really in the charge of the Holy Spirit because He's there working on your ups and downs, your successes and your failures. He's there mediating between the two, teaching you. That's why The Holy Spirit occupies your soul as Christ occupies your spirit. Understanding this gives us a bit of understanding as we look into what Paul's commitment was to the Lord. We're going to go through verses here one by one because they lay out for us things that I've been talking to you about, and I want to reemphasize these things. Beginning at verse 3, you'll certainly need a Bible. You'll need a King James Bible if you follow me. For we are the circumcision. We are the disciplined ones. We are the ones who handle a stewardship. We are the ones with the message of the age. We are the ones that worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now we stop there because this last line bears out the fact that Paul cannot emphasize anything without the in Christ position. He has no other thought life. He does no other thinking. He goes nowhere. He says nothing, particularly in his epistles. He lives nothing 
but by the fact that Christ lives in him. You see, that's what a Christian is in the Scriptures, that we are occupied by another life. And so he rejoices in Christ Jesus. For those of you that have never done it, that statement, in Christ Jesus, or similar statement of in Christ's position, is spoken by the Apostle Paul 146 times in his brief epistles. This was the heart of the message. This was the pillar of grace. Because God's intention was that you not live, Christ lives in you. That was His intention before He created the world. It only came to light as Christ gave this truth to the Apostle Paul. So we worship in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What we're going to do in the next few verses is separate spirit and flesh. We're going to talk about what flesh is. Because most of our commitments to God are fleshly commitments. They are commitments made to God that I won't do that anymore, Lord. I deal with a lot of alcoholics. They tell me I'm not going to drink again. These are commitments we make on what we do. They're never very sound. However, sometimes you keep them and sometimes it's good. I've had a problem in my lifetime getting stirred up and telling the Lord I was going to do a certain thing and then not be able to do it. So our commitment is based on things that are outer. Much of our life is based on the outer things. Much religion today is based on outer things. The, the uh, religion where you have to have a certain feeling to know God, to be in God's presence. You have to have His anointing, His presence. Uh, that's an outer thing. Good today, not so hot tomorrow maybe. But outer things are like that. They are never exactly what we think they are. And so we must be careful in our commitments to anything that is outer. It could be our health. It could be our jobs. It could be our families. It could be a lot of things. But that's not where basic commitment is for a Christian. And we want to see the difference between those two things. Sometimes I felt committed to my ministry. That was good and that was bad. Good because I should have had a thought like that. Bad because I couldn't keep it the way I wanted it. Because things change in the flesh. Outer things are always evolving. So you need to see the difference when you make a commitment to God. Now, where is commitment made? Where do you make commitment? Do you make it with your hands? Do you make it with your, your jumping up and down? Is the commitment made when you sing good and loud? Where is the commitment made in worship? Commitment is always made in the mind. Never in the will, never in the emotions though they could be participants. But commitment is made in your mind. It's made in what you know, what you think, what you understand. The Apostle Paul is clear on that. Whenever he got up from the prayer meeting in Arabia with the knowledge that Christ lived in him, he knew right off he was going to have to make a deep commitment in the outer things of his life. 
Because how in the world could anything he did outwardly in life mean as much as Christ in him? So his mind was circulating in that area, especially, I think, when he wrote Philippians 3. Because he is ready now to separate the outer things, the things of the flesh, from those things that are spirit. But also remember that there are two phases of salvation. The first phase is what God does. The second phase is something you do. We're going to see the difference in that. What God does is perfect, is complete, and is finished. That's in spirit. But then you have your soulish part where mind, will, and emotions is involved. In this area of your life, there is always a fixing going on. Always a new commitment being made. Always a new desire. That's where the Holy Spirit deals with us. That's His realm. His realm is soulish as Christ's realm is in our spirit. For He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now, let's read on here. Try to follow me as I read. In verse 4 he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Now, this is one of the brags that Paul makes. He makes it concerning his outer life. What he says in this verse is that if anybody on this earth had anything to brag about, he has a whole lot more of the same. I could brag on my life, Paul says, more than anybody. Well, that's very evident because from the record, he's probably the most educated man in the Scriptures. Maybe not the smartest, but he's the most educated as far as secular education goes. And so he knew that. He knew that in regard to other people around him. He knew that he had a great education, that he knew a whole lot of things. He'll elaborate on those here in a moment. But he says... Now that if any man thinks that in his flesh he has a whole lot to commit to God, I have a whole lot more than he. And the reason he has more than anybody else is because he has no confidence in the things outside of his Christ life. You're going to have to face that if you go on with God. You can put no confidence in anything outside of you except in the Christ life. That means that mothers and daddies are not good parents outside of Christ in them. That means that a mechanic's not a good mechanic outside of Christ being the mechanic. The doctor is not a good doctor. The lawyer is not a good lawyer. The teacher is not a good teacher outside of Christ in them. So what we're getting into here is the fact that your mind is going to have to change, that it's not you teaching in a classroom, several of you are teachers, some of you here are doctors. It is not you doing the doctoring, it's Christ as you. See, You're going to have to move into another realm of thinking because that's what a Christian is. You're going to have to move into the area where you no longer live. That doesn't mean physically. That means you no longer live as you. But the you, you now crucified has become 
the you Christ. You're going to have to move into that realm. That's a, that's a thing of your mind. It's hard for it to take root there, but until it does, the world's not going to see a Christian by you. They'll see a church member. They'll see somebody saved and somebody that's trying to get somebody else saved, but they won't see a Christian because a Christian is one in whom Christ lives and operates. So the Apostle Paul says, I have no confidence in the outer things that I do. And he says, I have a whole lot more of these fleshly things than anybody else could have. So he's got to do something with them. Now he enumerates. Beginning at verse 5, he enumerates his outer things. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, he is a Pharisee. You see, he's a very religious person. And this was where his greatest battle was. His education was given to him by the highest up of rabbis, the greatest teachers living in that day. But they were all religious teachers. He was a rabbi. That's religion. He was a lawyer. That was the law of Moses transposed into the law of the land. He was that kind of a lawyer. All of these things put together that made him who he was, was of course important to him. Notice, he talks about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's the top flight Jew. When he came to the law, he was a Pharisee. That was top flight then. They were the aristocrats. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Anybody could feel privileged to be of the tribe of Benjamin. Chosen tribe. All of these things made him a very religious person. So as we go into his commitment, he's not like a lot of us. We were not so religious when we came to the Lord. But he was very religious. This was deep in him. Furthermore, he had the deep root of the law in him. That's the most awful thing that ever happened to human beings. You understand that? The law is the most awful thing that happened to Christians, most awful thing that happened to sinners. Why in the world did God ever give a law? Because man asked for it. Man wouldn't do what God said. And so they said, well, if you write it out, Lord, we'll do it. They lied there. They couldn't do it. To this day, the law is our enemy. And remember, Paul never beats around the bush on the law. He says in Romans 7, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Now, I know a lot of people still have that deep root of the law in them. They'd like for Christ to be all. But you're not going to work law and grace together. You're not going to work it. I went through that phase where I said, well, I need to preach a little law. I had a big church, and I said, if I don't preach a little law, they won't be back Wednesday night. They won't tithe. So I mixed it a little with grace. Come to find out that I polluted law and grace. Polluted them. I made poison out of it can't do that. See, the law or grace. And so Paul was a lawyer. He was deep in the law. He had the deep root of the law in him. And if any of you think there's some things you believe that are more tantamount, more paramount, more powerful in you than any other one thing, just remember Paul would boast and say as he writes this, I have it a whole lot more than you do. 
So we've got to come to the conclusion before all this is over that that deep root of the law can be pulled out. It's got to go. It's got to go. Because after God put Jesus in you, He stopped trusting you. You understand that? He stopped trusting you. Why in the world would He depend on you soulishly to do your own salvation if Christ was killed on the cross in your behalf? You see, that's a foolish idea. That's what religion has done to us. I grew up in holiness religion. I don't know whether you ever had that in Africa or not. But I, I grew up in churches where if the preacher didn't beat everybody over the head, every time they come to a meeting for something they're doing, we didn't feel like we were at worship. And the harder he hit us, the more we felt anointed. <laughs> but not a soul lived it. Nobody lived it. Couldn't. First place wasn't supposed to. Second place, it didn't end us to live the Christian life. It is not in any human to live the Christian life. Don't you think God was smart enough to know that about human beings after 4,000 years of dealing with Old Testament people and 1,700 years of it dealing with Israel alone, a chosen people, He finally come to the ultimate thought that He first had before He created the world. They can't live without Jesus. That's what's wrong with the world. You want to know what's wrong with the world? It isn't, it isn't religion they need. The world needs Jesus. It's Jesus they need. And if you watch it today, the closer we get in this modern world to the end, and some days I think the end is coming, but the closer we get to it, the greater the emphasis will be by the world against Jesus Christ. Not somebody's religion, not somebody's church, not somebody's doctrine, but the greatest enemy in the world at the end will be Jesus Christ. You remember that little thought. I'm not much of a prophet, but that's the way I see it. Just remember now, no human can live the Christian life. Furthermore, since the cross, no human is expected by God to live the life. Oh, there are things you ought to do out of love. But the plan of God is constructed so that Christ in you is the liver. He's your liver. Christ has been made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, plus several hundred more things Paul will tell us Christ is in us. Let's read on. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee. Now we get into his works. He's an activist, a modern activist. Concerning zeal, he persecuted, persecuting the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless. Now this is what he thought was his inner life. His outer life was all these things that had taken place around him. How he was birthed, how he was trained. But now he's talking about his... His inner life, he was, he was a, so bent with the feelings that anybody that followed Jesus of Nazareth needed to be destroyed. 
that he became the exponent of that idea in his day. What he was really trying to do was to get noticed by the Sanhedrin. This is what some feel. He had one great desire, and that was to be a member of the Sanhedrin. But in the first place, he was not old enough. And in the second place, he was unknown. But because of his background and education, I assume, he was motivated that I'll do something to get attention. I'll get ahead. And if I go after these people who follow Jesus of Nazareth, that'll get the attention of the Sanhedrin because they're still confused over Jesus of Nazareth. But it didn't work out like that. But this was inner. This was something that drove him. There was something that was important. And I have to tell you that I see many Christians whose lives are forfeited over some idea they have that needs to be activated, something they've got to do. They righteously have to do it. I don't know if you have any in Africa, but America is full of activists. Anybody that makes a statement somebody doesn't like, there's a whole gang of people that form a parade. Make a lot of banners and go out to do something. Paul was that kind of an activist. But I don't like to see Christians doing that unless they're led of the Spirit. They could be. But I don't like to see it because they're carrying Jesus into that. Instead of Christ drawing all men unto Him, they're trying to draw them unto them. And maybe that's so in your personal life. Maybe that's something you're going to have to commit to God. People come to me and say, well, this is what I believe. I know you believe this, preacher, but this is what I believe. If what I believe is not centered in this book, if what I believe is not a part of me living this Christ life, I'm glad to change. But when I see somebody that can activate on a subject, argue over some aspect of religion, or be definite, this is what I think, which doesn't matter to a dumb doorknob what you think. <laughs> Always remember that. doesn't matter what I think. I have something more cardinal to go by than what I think. I have this book. I have this Word. And I have the Holy Spirit living in me who's constantly dealing with my mind. So Paul was an activist. That may be something you have to commit to God. That was a big thing that he had to make in his commitment. He persecuted people. But he felt he was righteous. He felt like he could do the wrong righteously. He felt that if he went out and killed some followers of the way, followers of Jesus of Nazareth, and dis destroyed them and what they were doing, that he was led of the Spirit. And we got it in our world today. The Islamic people believe that if they destroy Christians, that's a good thing. They're righteously endowed. The world's always been like that. But Paul was like that. He felt to do his wrong, he was righteous. 
In fact, he felt he was so righteous that he kept the law better than anybody else. That's, that's his most awful brag. Because the Scripture already said you couldn't keep the law, and he said, I was blameless. So you can see what kind of fellow he was. He wasn't going to be corrected by anything or anybody. He was a zealot. I just want to say this to you, that if what you think and believe is not centered on the fact of Christ in you, it only hinders your witness. So this takes me back to what I have to say primarily in all I have to say. The in Christ truth is the basic New Testament truth. It is the basic Christian truth. It is the only Christian truth that was planned by God before men got in the picture. Chosen to be in Christ before the world was created. The only other basic truth upon which grace hangs is the cross because that's the only other truth in God's plan besides the in Christ message that was planned by God before the world was created. Just two things. So those two things mean a lot to me. I'm not interested so much in what the great prophets have thought and said or the great theologians have thought and said. If when they come out with their message and it isn't based on Christ in you, the hope of glory, then what hope can they give us? And if it isn't based on the finished work of Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world in God's mind, if it isn't that way, then you don't have the true message. Now, you can add a thousand things to that, from water baptism to all sorts of different works that people must do. But that's not going to change an iota of God's plan that is plainly written, particularly since Paul had his revelation of Christ in him. That's another gospel. That's a truth of God that was planned before the world started. That's the final gospel. Let's move on. Verse 7 has gotten Paul down to the mind now. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now we're getting to the heart of commitment. According to this scripture, you never make a commitment, but what there's a loss to you. You don't make a commitment on top of God's blessings. You make a commitment on what you're willing to lose. Now, stick with me. If you never make a commitment and you've been saved, you're going to make it to heaven. I don't know what will happen to you when you get to heaven. He didn't give us any information there. But you will be judged. You're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. And you're going to be judged, I think, primarily over one thing. And us preachers have always preached on that. You don't give enough money. He's got books, and he's going to read the record to you, financial statement. Or you didn't come to every meeting. Or you didn't love everybody. No, that's not what you're going to be judged for. You're going to be judged over one thing, and that's what did you do with Christ in you. Because that's... The apple of my eye. That's the real thing. What would you do with this Jesus I placed 
in you and placed you in. Now, you don't give up anything except for Christ. And as, as we get into this deep commitment He makes here, I want you to keep one thing in mind. God doesn't want anything of yours that's outer. Usually, years ago when I preached the deeper life in my denomination, I had seminars all around on what we call the deeper life. And I had people that didn't understand because I couldn't, I didn't understand. But they would say, oh, I want to suffer the loss of all things for Christ, so I'm going to give up my motorboat. I'm going to give up this second car I got or the third home I got. They were talking about things that would really hurt them in the flesh with not ever having a conception of what hurt God the Father who placed His seed in you and you still haven't come to a recognition of what that seed is. No recognition of it. So I'm going to give up something outside of me. And one day I was talking along like that. What, what, what do you give up for God? And the Holy Spirit so preciously said to me, please don't have all these people giving their junk to God. He doesn't need it. So at some juncture you have to turn your life from the outer to the inner. That's a, a mind thing. We went through a phase with uh, charismatics where they said the more you own, the more you get from God, the more anointed you are. Well, that hadn't turned out so well because that was all outer things. That isn't what God gives me. Those are things that I manipulate and work out myself. The house I live in, the car I drive, the clothes I wear, those are all manipulations of my own. If i got enough money, this is what I do. If I don't have enough money, I'm smart. I don't do it. But it's the thing inside. It's the inner things. When we get to commitment, that's what makes the difference. And when you make a commitment to the Christ that is in you, you'll be surprised what happens to the outer things. Because you don't have Christ in you with knowledge and still control the outer things because the outer things will rule you before it's over. They take charge of you. So when we get to commitment, we're not talking about these things. I don't care what kind of house people live in. I don't care what kind of cars they drive. If God blesses them, that's great. But their commitment must be made to the Christ that's in them. And that commitment will determine what is outer. That's what determines what you do. You're not under law to do it. In grace, there is no law that makes you do things like this. Under grace, the more you offer of yourself to God, the more God blesses you. That's how simple it is. I need to get along here. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now, what was the first thing that came to Paul when he left the Arabian desert? Jesus has given him the most unbelievable word that a human being has ever been given. Remember, I mean that sincerely. The most important word God ever gave to a human being on this earth 
was when he said to Paul, Christ lives in you. Most important thing he said. Because this is the first time that Jesus has been turned over to human beings who were followers of God. Before he was turned over to the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his Son, and he was turned over to the world. But now, God's Son has been turned over to human beings. Human beings that have been to the cross, not, not, not otherwise. Human beings that are saved. Human beings that are born again. Christ is the new birth. The human being was not rebirthed. Always remember that. You are not saved. Christ is your salvation. See, remember that. You are not the saved one. Christ is what saved you. In you. Christ in you is what saved you. Two times Paul says we're saved by His life. Christ in you. If that message doesn't get out, the world's never going to know what a Christian is. Salvation is not going to an altar, repenting of sin. Those are good things, I suppose. Salvation is God birthing in you another life. You're not saved by changed life. You're not changed. Same old mind as earth. Sin nature, Satan's nature, Adam's nature is gone. That went away at the cross. But the new nature in you is a God nature, and that's in your spirit part. You're now a spiritual being. You've always been a spiritual being, even with the devil in you. The old sin nature took over. You were still a spirit being, but you had the wrong spirit. You had the wrong God in you. didn't fit your creation of, in the image and likeness of God. But when you get saved, Christ comes in and He fits your creation. Praise God. That's what salvation is. I'll not ask you if you're willing to suffer the loss of anything. Because my message is to preach to you the Word. Your responsibility is what the Word says to you. And what God says to you through this Word. Because I spent many years trying to change people's lives. Did a little, but not most. Because it wasn't up to me to do that. It's this Word I bring you that's to change your life. It's a love affair. If you don't love Him, forget it all. Because that's all God wants out of a human is somebody to love Him. We're going to stop here. We'll pick up again next week and give you more of this great conference that Warren Litzman held years ago in South Africa. So strong, so powerful, and such a blessing to hear. Don't forget, you can get this kind of information from our library at christ-life.org. Go there. That's our website. Check us out. Read all about us. And go to the bookstore. You can find these kinds of things in our bookstore. Tapes, videos, books, all great things that Warren left behind that concerned his revelation with the In Christ message. Thank you, Robbie Litzman, for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Also, we want to thank Valerie Hill, who does our weekly Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, thank you for doing the weekly podcast reports. And our great producer, a big thanks to Teresa Ferraro, who produces this show each week for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson. 
loving the Christ life.